Hi, and welcome to Real Nurse Stories. Today on the show, I'm interviewing Nick. Nick is a nurse um, who also runs her own business, which is Nurse Manager HQ. Welcome, Nick, to Real Nurse Stories. Xaver, thanks so much. Uh, you're welcome. It's nice, nice to finally meet up with you today. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Even though it's virtually, it's still nice yeah. to see you. <laughs> so, Nick, I'd, I'd love to know a little bit about your nursing career and perhaps if we can just start with what made you decide to become a nurse in the first instance. That's a good mm. place to start. I came into nursing for not necessarily, I mean, the right reasons. I just don't think I really knew what I was signing up for. Mm -hmm. So like many, many of the nurse that I've spoken to over the years, when I was a child, I was 12 or 13, my father developed metastatic melanoma and um, died when I was about 13. So I, my early adolescence was populated by hospitals and surgery and in intensive cares and in new treatments that was then interferon and a whole load of things. And I felt a very strong pull toward nursing. Yeah. Um, so as I moved through um, high school, I couldn't quite, deny that it was a very strong pull. I don't think when I finally signed up for nursing and started nursing, I fully appreciated what it was like. I think my worldview as a 12 and 13 year old around what nurses did and what it was about uh, was quite different. And I'm sorry to say that I think, I think, I think that the um, 12 year old version of me thought I would be some kind of mini doctor. <laughs> which of course is absolutely nothing like what we actually do. And I think about that and think, oh, Nicole, far out. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> off on my degree, I was a one of the first years in Queensland that we had no option to do hospital-based training, which I'm sad about that I missed mm. that because it looked like a hoot um, and was, went to university, which was also very fun and then found myself having qualified and did a really great um, graduate program. I was delighted with my graduate program. It was really supportive, but I had to go through quite a catharsis with ratifying what I thought nursing was and what nursing actually is and deciding whether this actually was what I wanted to be when I grow up. So <laughs> it was a bit, um, in fact, I asked myself that question even today. Um, <laughs> so it's a bit of a tortured process. And then I have, you know, found my place in my nursing world and have loved it since. Mm. It's really interesting that, that because I, I think, I just think back to when I started my training, which was a long time ago now, but I went in as an 18 year old thinking I knew what nursing was and was completely green, completely did not really at that point understand what nursing was all about. Mm -hmm. And I think there's probably many nurses who kind of yes. have that bit of a wake up to, oh, this is, this is oh. not what I thought it was, you know. It's no, and I, and I was at a time in the nursing world where there was a, it was very binary amongst nurses, whether the um, university education was um, a good thing or a bad thing. And so there were some people that were, of course, very supportive and delighted and excited. And there was a strong contingent who thought it was the worst thing that had ever happened. And they had a bit of a view that, you know, we university trained nurses didn't like getting our hands dirty. 
which I resented immensely, but I do look back at my early years, particularly when I was at university and I was reluctant to get in there and I was a bit guilty of not wanting to get my hands dirty, but it wasn't necessarily because I didn't want to, I just didn't yeah. know how. And it was, it wasn't like in the hospital training days, which was a little bit sink or swim. You were thrown in and, you know, all that kind of thing. But I think you did sort of let, reach that level of, um, comfort and there was a much stronger community of practice amongst mm. nurses mm. at that time that you know ushered people through in mostly a very supportive way I know not everyone had that experience um, but um, you know it was very different to me that was it was much easier for me as a university trained nurse to be a bit of a wallflower and stay back and yeah. that didn't help that no. ratification of what <laughs> I thought nursing was versus what it actually is. <laughs> So you, where did you go from, you, you qualified, you did your grad program and, and then where did you go? There were, my grad program was fantastic. I actually did it at the Wesley Hospital in Brisbane. And at that time it was 18 months long, which was a year, six months longer than your garden variety version. And they, I think at that time we did three, four month rotations or maybe we did two six month rotations. And then the last six months was specialties, one or two specialties. I was, of course, quite sure I would love being an ICU nurse and I was just hankering to get into ICU <laughs> nursing. Um, then when I got there, I thought, oh, I don't actually love it. Um, and the I was a terrible medical nurse. I just... the linear nature of the surgical nursing of day one post-op day two post-op worked well for me and medic medical nursing was all over the place so I was a rubbish grad in my um, respiratory ward um, and so I think my last ditch attempt was like what is this nursing thing that I've signed up for I hated that medical nursing thought I'd love ICU I'm in the poo here and my last grad rotation was the operating theatre and pretty much the first day I pulled on those PJs with those scrubs, I thought, oh, hello, I might be home. And uh, <laughs> I pretty much was and never really left it. I thought I'd detest um, operating theatres because to me it was like, well, what do you do in there? You pass yeah. the instruments. Yeah. And, of course, it is so much more than that and I adored it. Mm. It, it is funny, isn't it, when people talk about kind of how they've ended up in the areas that they've ended up because I I worked for a short time in theatres um <laughs> I hated it it just wasn't my at all but that's fine because we're all different and that's the beauty of nursing there's so many different avenues you can go down but Absolutely. I, I can totally get how you know there's, there's kind of so much um organization isn't there to being a theater nurse meticulous planning and it, it's, mm. it really is as you say there's there's much more to it than passing the instruments it does require a mm. lot of technical skill and knowledge so I think it's it would have been my worst nightmare but hey I take my hat off you know <laughs> 
Ironically, um, you know, they say that the theatre nurses are as OCD as all get out and they actually really are. Um, and I am not at all that way. I'm not terribly organised. For some reason, it appealed to me and it was a really great way um, of me having a little bit of personal growth yeah. um, because I did really love it and I was forced into a developing skills on being time sensitive, being organised, you know, zero defect execution. If, if sterile is either, you know, it's as binary as it's sterile or it's not. Yeah. yeah. And it was a really good place for the young 20 something Nicole to find herself in. And I loved it. And the first few um, feedback um, that I got from my preceptors was Nicole has no sense of urgency, which <laughs> reasonable assessment because I actually was more there for the chat than I was for anything else. Um, and ironically, as I progressed through and developed some skills and proved myself to those same groups, then they said one of my strengths was that I was very flexible. So of course it's the same trait, oh, yeah. um, just in a very different context, but it was a really good place for me to find myself. Yeah. And you, you worked at quite a senior level, didn't you, in that, that environment? I did, yeah. I um, I worked at a couple of. I went to the Wesley, and I worked at a couple of hospitals here in um, in southeast Queensland, and one of them was a major referral hospital, which was great. I mean, the catchment area, um, and it was at the Gold Coast Hospital, now known as the Gold Coast University Hospital, and the catchment of that organisation was enormous. So, um, you know, we would get these incredible multi traumas, and we got you know, just really clinically interesting um, cases and the camaraderie and the nursing culture of that hospital was immensely fun. And I loved every minute that I spent there. And so, but it was pretty quick uh, in terms of given the amount of exposure that we had, that yeah. you escalate in terms of your skill. And what is often commonly demonstrated in the nursing literature is that once you present yourself as having a level of clinical proficiency that clinical cream and that proficiency rises to the top mm. and it gets noticed a little bit and you a lot of the time nurses find themselves accidentally finding themselves in a nursing leadership position mm. which is precisely where I found myself and it was rather accidental so at a time in my life when I couldn't find a way to pay my power bill on time I found myself in charge of 170 nurses and a $40 million budget. And it was the neural pathways of those two functions of being a good theatre nurse and then being a manager and knowing how to do a roster could not be more vastly opposed. Yeah. Um, yeah. But nevertheless, I was back in a world of sink or swim and in keeping with my philosophy, I thought, oh, well, what's the worst can happen? <laughs> you know, a great deal as it turns out, but you know, they were all great learning experiences. <laughs> uh, and is that um, kind of linking to what you're doing now? Is that because just if you wouldn't mind, just share a little bit about what you're doing mm. now, because I know that's come about as part of mm. kind of your struggles, if you like, with leadership. Yeah, I mean, I did that role for a good couple of years and, like, the mistakes that I made were epic um, and they were hard to recover from in lots of ways. Like, I, 
understanding who I was as a leader and a nursing leader was really difficult for me because I'm not great at conflict. I don't want to go in guns a blazing, but um, I didn't really know what that looked like if I wasn't going to be this hard line, really demanding um, executioner of a sort of a leader, then where did that leave me? in terms of how I wanted to be a leader. And I actually remember watching that Jamie Oliver show, 11. He plucked those 11 random homeless kids, or 15, I think it was called. Yeah, Yeah, out of the street and turned them into, some of them, very amazing chefs. And I always loved Jamie Oliver. I thought he was a great bloke. But actually, (laughs) when he gets into chef mode, he's like all chefs, which is, you know, the hard line, F-bombs are everywhere. And I thought, oh, God, I remember watching that. As, and I was in my mid-20s thinking, that's what you've got to be if you're going to be a leader. I can't do that. I can't be that person. Um, and I tried it on and it blew up in my face because I couldn't deliver it organically. Anyway, my not that nurses, my nursing leadership team in the hospital that I, my first leadership role was in weren't supportive in fact my manager then is a friend of mine to this day it's just not something that we do very well and we're really good at teaching nurses how to develop themselves professionally in terms of clinical skills Um, but we expect that somehow they're naturally going to develop leadership skills and know how to read a profit and loss and of course that doesn't happen organically So fast forward to where I'm at now, I did reflect on that and think there probably has to be a better way of transitioning really accomplished clinicians into empowered leaders Mm. that are comfortable with who they are and what that looks like on a day-to-day basis when they're engaging with nurses who are struggling with skills, knowledge, attitudes, with workplace adversity, with moral distress, all of the things that like our worlds are ones of emotional labor. And so how do you manage that when you're a leader and with a lot of people without a lot of transition? So that's why I do what I do now. And I think, I think there's such a gap there, isn't there, Nick? I think, you know, I come across so many nurses who are, you know, either nurse unit manager level or above um, who, who struggle enormously in that Mm. space for those very reasons that you've you know described really well there it's like we we promote people because as you say they're competent they've got these great clinical Mm. skills promote them to a role that requires them to be a leader but we then kind of leave them adrift Mm. and and Mm. there's a mismatch to me you know if you're working at a very senior level so director level there seems to be more support there than there is for the middle section, which I, I find incredible given that, you know, we, particularly this year, the international year, um, year of the nurse and midwife, you know, part of the, the goals around that globally are around growing the next generation of leaders. And yet we still come across nurses who find themselves floundering because they haven't had that well I think it's support it's it's the development around the role so what what you know what would help this person who's new to the role it it, to me it's not practical enough no I don't know if that's something that you 
I think that's one of the things that is very strong. Some organisations do this really well yeah. and some organisations don't do it at all. And if in my experience, and I've had been exposed to many, many an organisation throughout Australia now, I, I think it's fair to say that most organisations don't do it well. Mm. Um, and, you know, then you love, you're left with these clinically very competent nurses that you take away all of the things that are, they're good at, which are the mm. clinical components of their role, and then give them a whole load of other things, and they are cloaked in self-doubt. Yes. Um, yeah. And it is a terrible, terrible place to be. I watched this great TED Talk once about this woman who talked about um, women when they're applying for roles, and this, this same sort of thing applies to how we are more likely to experience that cloak of self-doubt and that imposter syndrome um, and she was talking about how if the research tells us that if men see a, a job advertisement with say 10 selection criteria that if they can do three of them out of the 10 they'll go oh yeah i'll give that a go yeah. whereas women will see nine out of 10 and the 10th one they'll go oh i can't do that i can't apply yeah yeah and the same thing applies when they are. And I had that exact same thing when I was in that role. I desperately wanted to ring my manager and say, I am a raging fraud and you need to get yourself a real manager because this, uh, this is ridiculous. I don't know what I'm doing. And, of course, all I needed, like I had when I was a grad, was the equivalent of the Wesley grad program, yes. which was practical. Yeah. And it was organic and it was people, the grads, you know, there were 17 of us, I think, sitting in a room talking about how we drove home from night duty crying because we forgot to do the two o'clock ops. <laughs> there was yeah. no structured agenda. It was no, it was just organic and it was a debrief. And new managers who are novices need the exact same thing. Absolutely. Absolutely they do. And I think, you know, there'll be so many nurses who are listening who listen to this episode and will be thinking exactly the same thing you know this will resonate because I know that I've heard that in my own you know role when I was working at a senior level and worked with a great team but and they would say you know we don't know how to do this and that takes mm. courage in itself to say that but I think the pressures of working in modern day nursing and then you add in all those additional pressures of being in a leadership role and feeling like you're an imposter mm. and you know wearing that self-doubt just adds another mm. layer of pressure and intensity to on on an already stressed job so i think it's yeah yeah with a fundamental problem for nurses in that we measure ourselves by what we do and that can be really easy when we've got a patient load. You yeah. know, we had five post-ops or we managed this MET code really well or we took these admissions and it's really easy to bundle up what we do. Whereas when you're in a leadership position, it's not so easy. And so yeah. there is this elastic band that pulls nurses, the Catholic guilt that drags them out onto the nursing floor. They'll just go and relieve for tea or do that yeah. set of obs or answer that nurse call yeah. um, because they feel so bad. Meanwhile, mentally they hear the emails, you know, piling up and the report they haven't done and the roster they haven't put out and the yeah. policy and procedure that needs reviewing. So they get dragged back in and, then they feel like nurses walk past their door like, oh, yeah, surfing the desk again, not doing yeah. anything, so they get back out. And it's just, yeah. it's a terrible pendulum. It is. nurse manager. It is. It is.
tell me a little bit about Nick, how you the work that you do because you own your own business, don't you? I do. Tell me a little bit about that and how how that's helping nurse managers. Mm. Well, I mean, I think there's there it complements the formal education that you can do. This is not what you're going to learn at a master's or grad dip no. level or a frontline management thing, and that those courses do a really good job of that. But this is the how to you know, on the ground, what do I say? When do I say it? How do I say it? Sort of yeah. stuff. Like it translates fundamentally what is a transformational leader. Um, and in the research that I've done, we know that Australian nurses and the Australian healthcare want to be led by transformational nurse managers, which is to say nurses want to be a part of something special. Yeah. Yeah. And they, can work at any number of clinical environments, whether that's in the residential aged care sector, community, or the acute care, you know, the, the choice is theirs. Mm. You know, they have the power to go, I don't like this workplace. There's plenty of work for me. I'll go to that workplace. What keeps them there is that X factor of there's something about this community of nurses or patients or my colleagues or my nurse manager that makes me want to stay. Mm. And so the work that I do is getting nurse managers to understand that connection of how do I be the person that delivers something special? And that is actually understanding who you are and being really authentic to your values and your personality and what works and recognising that you've got some strengths, you've got stuff that you will overlook, you've got this team of amazing people, you want birds of all feathers Yes. to come yeah. and to love that group and for it to be really dynamic. And yes, that comes with conflict. You know, we've got to a place in our world where we think conflict's bad. Mm. Conflict's only bad when we rip each other's faces off. <laughs> but conflict's a place yeah. where amazing things happen and growth happens and we put together amazing projects and people come up with crazy ideas and mm. Other people are excellent at executing on those and you develop a team where people feel like they're energised about coming to work, that they're really excited, that they're apparently when in the high trust teams, they're 50% more productive. It's true, That's yeah. pretty special. Yeah. I mean, if you're a nurse manager and you've got the formula for getting being able to give patients six patients to a nurse instead of four, then yeah. that's worth investing in. Yeah. But not only six patients and then nurses feel like they are absolutely overworked and underpaid, but they can do that with their eyes shut because they've got this team that's working together and doing something special. I actually think that's what used to happen in the hospital training days that yeah. you had that community and that high trust environment with your community, with your little tribe mm. in your ward mm. and it worked really well. And that camaraderie in the nurses home um was really strong and our world for a number of reasons has moved away from that and the courses that i deliver bring you back to how you do you develop those tribes that's really interesting i think there's so much there in what you say in terms of you know just again thinking back to my days of being a student and we all had to live in which people would be horrified about that now but actually you know as you were talking there 
I was just thinking that that was what we would do a lot of the time was informally debrief. So you'd, if you'd had a terrible shift as a student, you know, you would go back and because you all lived in, there was invariably quite a few people around and you would just talk it through. And mm-hmm. the support and the camaraderie of, you know, people who knew exactly what you were going through was it was mm-hmm. I think for a lot of us probably what made the difference between us sticking at nursing or not and yet yeah. that's changed so much and it, nursing has changed for the better don't get me wrong but I think you're absolutely right we've lost some of those components that were really important in you know the glue that was holding teams together and those opportunities to really kind of connect and support each other we perhaps Mm. have lost some of that along the way I think when you look back on really great teams that you've worked with and actually for the most part not always but um, the live-in nature of that um, hospital-based training is that those teams work hard but they play harder yes yes (laughs) I <laughs> really knew how to fun. Uh, were you hospital trained? I was hospital trained. Oh, you guys were evil. You did really naughty things. <laughs> we did. We did. I mean, yeah, well, yeah. I think people would, you know, when I look back, we absolutely did. And we got away with a lot of, you know, that humour that exists in, in nursing. It still does to a certain extent, but I don't think, certainly wouldn't get away with it now. But no, there'd again, be a few incident reports from yeah, yeah, some of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But, you know, again, that, that was something that kept you going sometimes when it was, you could be on a really tough ward. You know, I can remember working on a paediatric oncology unit and I, oh, it just could not get my head around that at all. But those were the things that actually kept you going, you know. And we are famous for our black humour. Very much um, so. And provided, again, that it's not something that um, tears someone apart, that it's not bullying, that it's not offensive, um, there is a version of humour and fun and play that we can do that is safe for a workplace. Um, But we swung a little bit too far because we're worried about, you know, that we're going to offend someone. But there's plenty of ways that you can enjoy a laugh without it being offensive. Um, And that is something I think we have to find again because emotional labour is something that we have not quite fully appreciated is really significant in our world. And workplace adversity exists in our worlds, whether we like it or not. And that can range from exactly what you're talking about, a paediatric oncology, of course, that um, tragedy that we're exposed to. But sometimes there are real union issues, there are real rostering issues, there are real workload issues, paternity of nursing, can the paternalism of it can be really distressing the what you how you interact with other people there's a range of reasons that are outside the circle of our influence Mm. that we can control but what we can and still manage how we deal with that and sometimes it's just play and have fun Mm. and that's not dangerous on unsafe in fact it's the only way we're going to survive this ride yeah 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 and i think you know the, the other side the flip side of this as well is you know around kind of public perceptions of what nursing is and I think that's certainly 
in the, over the last year has begun to change somewhat because of all the COVID. And I know that, you know, I've seen a, quite a few posts where nurses have been very kind of outspoken and said, look, we're not heroes. We're not, you know, um, wearing capes, superwoman. Mm. You know, we are highly trained professional people. And I do think that that's also part of the issue is this outdated perception of nursing and that that's largely not helped because of the media I don't always think there's enough positive um, mm. media interpretation of modern day nursing and that that mm. kind of fuels this old-fashioned notion so I think there's a lot of things mm. that need to change around that but also I think people don't have that insight into how tough if you're a member of the public unless you, you kind of have a nurse in the family or you're married to a nurse I think you really probably wouldn't have much of a a real insight into all the grit that happens in no. nursing and the, as you say the labor and how difficult mm. it is you know it, it is it's a wonder mm. really we don't see more nurses in trouble with burnout than we actually do and I suspect there's probably a lot of those nurses that we're not counting in those numbers mm, I think so too when nurses just quietly leave or yes. retire earlier or move yeah. into something else and and the reason for that is burnout or yeah. never really quite um, ratify and articulate that it is burnout that is is what's going on for them and um, that is something that we can change by creating workplaces that are fun to go to. We have to get back to that time um, where we were, we safely had fun without it being something that's really negative. And, you know, to our credit, year after year, in fact, decade after decade, we keep coming out in the Gallup polls as the most trusted profession. And even despite um, you know, some terrible things that going on go on that are publicised heavily about mistakes nurses make or that there's the psychopathic homicidal nurse running around. The public, it's proven the public think that is a one-off and don't judge us, whereas other professions, they cast that dispersion across the entire um, industry and they don't do that with us. Um, amazingly, the people that don't trust um, or us, you know, we don't trust each other and our employers or often our nurse leaders don't. And um, that's crazy. You know, we've got these amazing group of highly trained, highly skilled nurses that are doing a very emotionally laborious role. And we, as nursing leaders, we need to learn how to not micromanage that and how to give them what they need to do a great job and get out of their way. And I, th- I wonder as well, you know, how much this whole concept of like horizontal violence plays into some of the behaviours that we see, you know, that are not always helpful behaviours and certainly don't create um, a positive workspace. Mm. And whether that for some people is just purely down to the pressure and how do I cope with all this? It's almost passed down the line and that doesn't make it right. But psychologically when you strip it back often Mm. the person is struggling with all kinds of pressures and Mm. 
after happening. And that's one of the things I spend a lot of time in my courses on is um, how do you create a psychologically safe workplace? And what that means is that people are happy to put up their hand and give an idea, object, provide stalls, excuses and objections without it being about toxic positivity. And I can't stand toxic positivity. Oh, you know, I think you're being really negative and you need to get on board with this. Nurses have got the most amazing ability to find the fatal flaw. That's why we are in this gig. Yeah. Because we can look at a patient at 50 paces that's otherwise their data, um, whether it be their odds or their um, pathology or whatever else is absolutely okay. And we can look at them and go, oh hello there's something going on me here and yet the same thing goes on with what we do when with workplace change with policies procedures with new rolling out you know nurses are really good at understanding that fatal flaw so you want to create a workplace that's safe for people to be able to have that and sometimes it's about recognizing that people have different thinking preferences and i'm a really i'm a person that for example thinks their policy is more of a guideline and I'm often late and I'm a big picture person and people start giving me details and I start to think about what I'm going to make for dinner tonight. Like I just can't do those things, but I come up with really amazing ideas. Mm. I'm just rubbish at executing them. And there are other people that can't come up with an idea, wouldn't know one to fall over them, but their execution and ability for facilitation is extraordinary. Whereas other people have got the most amazing ability to read data and solve problems, um, but they tend to be maybe a little bit not so good on the emotional intelligence. Yeah. Whereas there are others that are just culture creators and they are so good at it, um, but then they end up having to have a work seizure at the end of their shift. They're not lazy. They just do <laughs> rapport really, really well. And so that's one of the things that I, I think when you when people spend a lot of time immersing themselves in understanding how people think, that they go, I thought that person was just getting up my nose. Yeah. And now yeah. I realise that they're just different to me. And just like gender diversity and age diversity and cultural diversity, cognitive diversity is equally as powerful. And that's me. You know, I, I just think you've hit the nail on the head there because... It's, it's about knowing your team, isn't it, as a leader and knowing your skill sets and your personality mm. types because mm. if you know and understand that, then that changes the way that you delegate because you know the strengths on your team, you know who's good at what. And it's almost like that secret source. If you've got that right as a leader, oh, oh it just changes you know and the team becomes cohesive they're happy it's a positive workplace it's when people don't understand that and and see that person as being difficult without realizing exactly how you've just described it you know their thought processes their cognitive processes may mean that they you know respond differently and once you look at it mm. through that lens it can mm. make a whole heap of sense. Mm. Uh, so it fascinates me because one of the um, parts of my role when I'm coaching nurses is, is around imposter syndrome and nurses who found themselves fairly new to leadership positions and that whole second guessing themselves, but also not understanding how to map out 
that skill set within the team and how to play to those strengths and they're they're not terribly difficult things to learn it's just that we're not good at at sharing some some of these things come from a corporate world and the business world Mm. where people know their types they you know regularly have feedback feed forward but we're not good at teaching Mm. those skills I don't think in modern day nursing leadership I think we're not good at owning what we're not good at and thinking that as a nursing leader that I have to that it's a development opportunity for me to enhance my skills in this area so that I can eventually be all things to all people you're just not no you know you're just not no. And there's no point in trying to. I am never going to be a person that is excellent at analysing data. I don't want to do it. No. I don't like doing it. I think it's a waste of time. I fundamentally believe that um, the data that we look at doesn't necessarily mean that benchmarking predicts our future. But I recognise that it is enormously valuable. So, you know, I can do that. I could spend yeah. time doing that and... I would find it laborious, I would procrastinate, I would hate it, it would take me three times longer than it would take anyone else, or I can just outsource it. Yes, yeah. And get someone who was fundamentally excellent at that kind of thing to, like Denzel Washington said in that great movie, (laughs) Philadelphia, explain to me like I'm a two-year-old. Like, I'll just give it to you, come back to me, give me the highlights and I'll run with that. That's an okay way of managing those areas that you're just not good at. Well, and some people are different at other things they're yeah. not good at. Outsource yeah. that. And it's almost giving people permission to do that, isn't it? If you were to say yes. that to somebody, you know, look, it's okay to do that. You know, you, mm. I can almost visualise the reaction, you know, because like you say, sometimes we're, the, we're our, our own worst enemies in that we think we have to do it all and you can't do it all because, mm. you know, for those very reasons. So to have that it's okay to outsource that to somebody who loves that kind of thing makes your life easier it helps manage that so that you get that information on time it's a great Mm. a great way to be and I think that one of our greatest cognitive biases those mental mistakes that our brain are hardwired to make because our brains are making way too many decisions way too many thoughts way too many chemicals that's chemical storms going on up in there that we have these common cognitive biases and one of them is that negativity bias that the pain of some of someone saying something negative to us is felt more than the joy and gratification of someone saying something positive to us so for those that are already afflicted by the imposter syndrome it's really difficult because they they don't necessarily live the high very long of someone saying, God, you build a great type of culture. You're great at building a team. You're amazing at just explaining to us what the vision and where we're going is. Mm-hmm. But when someone says your monthly reports are rubbish, then they're like, right, I'm not a good manager. Yeah. Can't do it. Yeah. I'm terrible at this role. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm meant to be doing this, this all of this data stuff, so I must be a fraud. Mm-hmm. Whereas you devalue and cast aside your good bits really quickly and obsess about the bad bits and I think kind of perhaps that comes back to something you said at the beginning as well around the gender differences and the approaches to some of these issues and that again I think is tangled up with a whole history of this patriarchal 
mm. working environment and yeah it's it's a fascinating subject isn't it as to why why we do beat ourselves up like that when there's lots of positive feedback we hone in on there and take that as a well that's that's evidence that we're mm. we're not cutting it you know yeah. and the shame yeah. around that really I, I mean I'd, yeah. this is where I um, can relate so much to uh, Renee Brown's work around shame and vulnerability because I think I love Renee Brown's yeah, work I absolutely <laughs> adore it oh she's one of my favorites I just I read her book and I thought oh my god why, why did you not write this book years ago <laughs> it would have helped me so much you know learning the hard way but there's so much there about that whole just the whole being vulnerable and having the again coming back to a positive space and environment to be able to say you know I need some help with this or I don't know how to do it and that simplifies it a lot there's more mm. to it than that but I just think there's so much we can learn from people like Brene Brown and apply that mm. to them, mm. you know. And I think no matter whether we find ourselves in a graduate position or a very senior nursing position, either way, there's leadership to be had. Yes. Um, and so we need to, it, and leadership is fundamentally about, you know, managing is about doing things right and leadership is about doing the right thing and fundamentally everything that you do even as a grad nurse I mean you can follow the policy and procedure and you can do things right um, but doing the right thing is about patient advocacy for yes. example yeah. so you find yourself at that juxtaposition on day one about nursing leadership um, and so having someone like you know, Brene Brown, if you cannot find yourself a safe mentor, I think is really yeah. important because you can't, it's hard for you to go to your preceptor, your clinical nurse specialist, your nurse unit manager, your director of nursing, whoever yeah. is your next line and go, I really don't know how to do yeah. what you're paying yeah. me to do. Yeah. Whereas if you've got a mentor who has got no skin in the game in that regard and you can go, I really don't know these things yeah. then it's incredibly empowering for you to be able to do that and that's what our workplaces should be able to do yeah. we should be able to have um and it happens organically in the tea rooms and then the nurses station where we have these communities of practice where you should be able to go to your more senior colleagues and go i actually have absolutely no idea about diabetes could someone explain to me the you know, the top three points I'm meant to know about diabetes because I don't think I know them. Mm. Or I don't know anything about a profit and loss and I'm meant to because I'm this nurse unit manager apparently. Yeah. And that's what communities of practice, what we should be striving for. Yeah. yeah. You can only do that in high trust teams. Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's such an important factor, isn't it? And I think mm. it's great if you if you're working in a, an environment that supports that and develops a high trust environment, I think sadly there's still a fair few around that, that don't. And mm. yeah, it's sink or swim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is.
can I ask you, Nick, because we've talked a lot about the challenges and the difficulties there, but what is it that you do for yourself in terms of um, a daily or a personal habit that contributes to your positive mental health and well-being and helping you to keep resilient? How do you, how do you manage that? I try to dedicate at least an hour of my day to something that is just unadulterated, fun, pointlessness, you know, whatever. And I actually try to incorporate that even at work because I am on a penchant to make sure that nurses start having fun again at work. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, it changes in terms of what that might be. You know, maybe it's about food. I do love cooking. Um, I do love reading. I love the mindfulness of it. Um, I love doing... There are loads of things that I love doing. Sometimes it's walking. Sometimes it is a bit of yoga. Um, sometimes it's actually going across the road. We, I live in um, Brisbane and there's a little microbrewery and there, we go there quite a bit. And I know that's an alcoholic-related um, activity, which may not be a great thing to encourage people. But it is a very community thing. You walk in, you know the staff. We have a yeah. chat with everyone. I am a very chatty people centered person i need to reach out and have a conversation and and the more that we are working remotely yeah which of course i find yeah. myself doing that now yeah. the more i feel that i need to have you know that social interaction that frivolous conversation about what i'm cooking for dinner or what i did last weekend or movies that we've seen or what's your favorite thing that we're binging on netflix so that you can have that social interaction that's really good i mean one of the one of the things i often hear a lot particularly through coaching is that whole you know nurses not having time me time um Mm. because of the you know early starts late finishes and i I think sometimes think that it's more complicated than it needs to be and those Mm. examples you've given there you know it's it is simply about taking some time for you to do mm. you know what, what you love doing really yeah and that and that me time or that hour that I spend um it does change a lot because I get bored with things easily yeah so what I was totally married to a year ago I'm now like oh I'm a bit over that now and I, <laughs> I change it up um I I never cease loving to go to the movies that's one of my I did this um interview recently with um about emotional love and a care plan and having a care plan for nurses yeah and it sounds scary and that you've got to be committed to this very you know structured sort of thing but the care plan for me is it's like a you know how many times have I been to the movies this week anxiety index like yeah. I can just go to the movie sit down with the popcorn and the lights go down and sometimes I'll say to my husband oh what movie we've we seen I've already forgotten <laughs> but it doesn't really matter I just, I love that two hours where I'm completely immersed in whatever story it is. And it's not about work. It's not about, you know, a job that I've got to do. It's not about my to-do list. It's just an indulgence and I adore it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that switching off, isn't it? It's just that leaving work at work and just, yeah, Mm. letting Mm. your mind just go, yeah, watch the film. Mm. 
done with that now yeah. and starting something else to unhook yourself from it. Otherwise, it's yeah. really hard. Yeah. Knowing what you know, Nick, now, looking back on your career and all the struggles and the things that you've learned, what advice would you give to a nurse just starting out in their career? Mm. There, I think the notion of um, find your community more is more important than finding your clinical niche. Because as much as I loved the operating theatre, I was on a journey to find my clinical niche that satisfied me intellectually. And it yeah. did a great job of that. Um, but nothing is going to satisfy me intellectually for the 50 years that I'm going to work in this world of ours. Um, <laughs> yet um, communities did. And I have got friends that I have worked with two decades ago and, you know, last year that I've collected along the way that have been really important in my life. And that has what has made the difference in my nursing career, that they were a soft landing in times when I, um, you know, I needed support and I needed mentorship and I needed advice and they were the psychologically safe, um, tra high trust workplaces that I loved and I look back on now and they weren't necessarily the most intellectually stimulating, but geez, it was satisfying. Yeah. And it was yeah. a great job. And I re those environments and those cultures were so enjoyable. And some of those, I mean, like anything, sometimes people and jobs come into your life for a season and some for a reason and some for the <laughs> term of your natural life. Um, but I think, new nurses want to get clinical skills under their belt. Yeah. You know, maybe if I'm going to be happy and satisfied and feel like I'm a real nurse when I know how to do this, mm. you know, when I can run the ventilator, when I know about dialysis, when I can, I'm competent in the ECMO, when I can run a resus, I'm team leader. Like, but it's actually the connections that you make are so much more endearing that you look back on than the time that you finally knew how to run the ventilator independently. And I always think, you know, that whilst we need to be technically proficient, I don't think we should ever lose that component of nursing, which is very much about the connections with people. So patients, families, colleagues, because mm. that's the bit, the essence, I, I like to call it, of nursing. I think that, you know, is something that really makes the difference for mm. being a nurse who's yes technically competent but that on its own you, you it's, isn't enough you need to have enough. connections because that's what matters that's what makes the difference to people at the end of the day and how they've experienced nursing mm. a time when they're probably going through the worst time possible for them yeah and nursing is a contact sport you yes. cannot do it in isolation. No. And if you no. try, then you will fail. You have to connect with your colleagues and your patients and your manager and the orderly and your ward clerk and yeah. everybody that is involved in that process. And if you can't, that's when you struggle. Yeah. Um, and if you can't, then it probably means that, you know, that particular niche of nursing is not for you. And there are other ways of being able to be a nurse without it. But for the vast majority, then it is an interpersonal thing. It's you have to be able to, you know, engage in that context sport that is nursing. Very much. So. <laughs>
how would you most like to be remembered, Nick, in your career? Um, I when I look back at all of the times where I've been a manager, which I've been a manager in for more years than I've been a clinician, um, I would like to have been remembered for someone that people found everything that you want a nursing leader to be, that I was um, approachable, of course, but I created that community of practice where people wanted to come to work, where I could create an X factor, where they drove past three other hospitals, but they kept working in the department that I led, not because of me, but because I could create that indescribable, intangible thing that was the something special and that it was fun and that yeah. people knew how to have a laugh without it being a, a major incident reporting <laughs> moment. That's so important, isn't it? So oh. important. <laughs> when I was running one, it was the emergency department, which was a bit of an issue from time to time. Sometimes our nurses station would get so raucous <laughs> that we would get comments from the, you know, particularly the poor patient that came in with the raging unmanageable migraine. And you'd get a bit of a comment back saying I was in unspeakable pain, but everyone was having it the nurse, fun at the nurses station. And I did think, oh, okay, that's a bit rough. <laughs> um, but a lot of the time, conversely, there was the time when the patients would go, oh, God, it was just such a relief that it wasn't just so dark and depressing and yeah. worrying. It sort of made it light. You can't keep everyone happy, but so, I did feel a bit sorry for the migraine person that yeah. day. <laughs> that would have been pretty rough. <laughs> oh, and then finally, Nick, I'd like just to give you the opportunity um, to really just say how if nurses listening to this, they're interested in contacting you to find out more about the work that you do. How can yeah. they do that? Well, I've got a website, nursemanagerhq.com, and um, I generally blog and post on there everything that I think about nursing. I like to put resources that um, are up there that help people mm -hmm. um, disrupt that norm that nursing has to be something that's so serious and how we can manage the workplace adversity that it's our gig and yeah. we you know, we do sign up for workplace adversity. Some of it we don't sign up for, but it is what it is. Yeah. And if that's the case, then, you know, I, I hope that I can give you some resources that and courses and articles and snippets and tools that can help you deal with that. Well, that's great. That's great. And uh, I'll post also that on the um, introduction on the episode as well. So if people want to contact you they've got that there as well thank you it's been an absolute pleasure nick to interview you today it's been fun fun is is the word that's come up so many times and it's always great to you know chat to people about their careers and i just want to thank you for your candor really and you know what you've shared and your honesty um about you know what I call the nuts and bolts of nursing. Mm. It is a tough mm. thing. And I think that's, to me, the importance of these interviews is talking more about that, but also talking about solutions and how we can support each other. So exactly. it's, been, it's been really great to chat with you today. So oh, thanks, it's been fun. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> thanks, Nick. Pleasure. Bye-bye. <laughs>